0: Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. I'm your host Kevin Appleby, and today we're going to talk about storytelling. And I've got the expert in FP&A storytelling with me, Sufian Hamid. Sufian, welcome to the Grow CFO show.
1: Hello, Kevin. Thanks for having me here.
0: So, Sufian, great title, FP&A Storyteller, but now
1: tell us your backstory. If I have to go back to the first steps of my career, I have a classic start of career. I started as auditor at PwC, then moved to consulting at Deloitte. And it's only when I started to work in a company as a fixed employee was for a telco company in Belgium as a finance business partner that I really learned the importance of storytelling. When I was a consultant, you have your findings, you have your conclusions, and you have, let's say, the background and the strength of your analysis to be strong enough to convince. And because you have this external aura, people tend to believe you. But when you are internal, you have to convince people that they do not believe you just because you say so. And I have an interesting story about when I understood why it was important. I remember I was reviewing the monthly re- results with the finance director who had in his turn to present it to the management committee and to the exco. And he was supposed to present my analysis of the monthly results. And I was going from exception to exception. He was asking a lot of questions. He did not really understood. We lasted like 10, 15 minutes like that. And finally, he told me, "Sufian, wait, you're an expert, you're a technician, but you have to understand that the people in front of me won't be experts. So you have to make sure that you translate your expertise into something they know. So tell me the story behind it. And it was completely new for me. What would story mean in finance? That was something like a buzzword for me. And to go even further, it was something like BS. I did not understand why it was important. But when he told me that, I understood that it was maybe time for me to question myself And so I followed many trainings on how to give a good presentation. Unfortunately, at that time, I found trainings on how to give TED talks, on how to present like in the Toastmasters. So really focused on public speaking, really focused on the structure of a delivery, but I did not find anything related to finance. And I found that our analysis are. Expertise was so unique that we had to find a way to translate that uniqueness into a storytelling that's completely different from the rest. And so this is why I worked on it, tested, practiced, made mistakes, and eventually found a good way to organize the process from the analysis to the delivery of the presentation and the conclusions. And this process, I teach it since now three years, and uh, I found it to be very efficient.
0: Tell us a little bit about that
1: process, then. What's the magic? To understand that process, I first have to tell you about how I discovered that process. When I started to be interested in financial storytelling. I also started to interview CFOs, directors from my company, from outside of the company, even in the last years. And I found five main issues of finance presentations that come around in the different interviews I've had. The first one is that when you go out of a finance presentation, there's no clear message. You have a ton of information, you have a PNL. and l you have a cash flow, but when you go out, you don't know what to remember. That's the main feedback. The second thing is finance presentations are the same and it doesn't really matter whether it's for an executive committee or a staff meeting or entry level people, non-finance finance. No, The deliveries are always the same and are not targeted to the audience. And the third issue is that the structure of the narrative is not compelling. Generally, how this works in finance, maybe you will confirm whether you agree with that or not. Well, we follow the structure of the PL. So we show the full PL and then we go for revenues, cost of sales, operating expenses, capex, etc. This is a nice way and linear way to show the PNL, but it doesn't really reflect the business reality behind. And so this is why it's important to structure and to find a narrative that corresponds to how people see their business and not really how people look at the PNL. So that's the third issue. The fourth one. Well, we, we quickly discussed about this. That was the problem of the visuals. The slides are not appealing there's too much text on the slides, too much graphs, too much tables, so we don't know where to look at. And the final problem was that the delivery is not great. Generally, this is the last thing finance professionals focus on, they prepare their slides. If we are lucky, they prepare a message, but they don't practice. And so when they are in front of executives, or when they are in front of a town hall of 50 to people, they don't know how to deliver correctly. So they forget everything about body language, about public speaking, about how to engage the audience. And so uh, these five problems that we often observe in finance presentations, well, I found a way to counter them. And this is my famous story framework. So S-T-O-R-Y. And this story framework actually represents a way to counter each issue individually. The S goes for select your message. Thanks to this part, you understand how to analyze your figures first and then to retrieve what I call the signal from the noise. So you have... A cloud of information just detect what is the important yeah topic. what's important this month i can relate well
0: to what you're saying about being there and presenting the business results in the management team meeting back in my days it's a long time ago now and i was actually business partnering in a a business before I became a consultant. Yes, I'd do exactly what you say. I'd put a slide up on the projector and it would show the PL account. Mm-hmm. And we'd go through it and we'd look at the key variances and so on. And it fell into all of those traps you're talking about. It was great. You got a lot of executives around the table starting to fall asleep because it's Kevin talk about the PL account again. Yeah, we were talking about bits and pieces of variances from budget. Frankly, they didn't care. And I know now from lots and lots of experience, consulting, learning to present in better ways, that what's the message? Has to be the first thing. Mm -hmm. Start with what's important this month. If there's only one thing I can tell them about, what is it?
1: This is especially important because when you are in front of executives, for example. Let's say you have a slot at the executive committee. You have a slot of 30 minutes, while well, you are never sure that you will have your 30 minutes. Yeah. You can have five minutes, you can have 10 minutes. You have to be ready in those five minutes to tell everything they need to know. Although you prepared your presentation for a slot of 30 minutes, you have to be able to decrease it to the level of the executive summary where they have their conclusion, where they have the main takeaways and where they have the action to take. And even in the worst case, if you are completely cancelled, you should be able to tell it in one sentence, which is what I call the elevator pitch. At that time, in one sentence, they should know what they should know and the starting point of their decision making.
0: I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned about putting that kind of presentation together, we were actually looking at, it was a consulting assignment. We are looking to present certainly interim results of the project we were doing. We actually needed the client team to do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting down with the partner that I was working with, Steve, and basically Steve said, look, any presentation you do, Kevin, three things. What do you need them to know? How do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? think that through before you do anything now if you've got the answer to those three questions in your head well you can give a 30 minute presentation or you can cut it down to 5 minutes
1: yeah exactly yeah. this is the three what structure yeah. actually the what represent what you want to tell them the so what represent the emotional impact on them yes. And then the now what represents what you want them to do, the action to take after your presentation. You got a serious advice by back then.
0: That's been common to a, a lot of the things that I've done. And that must be, gosh, 20 years ago. And it's been common to an awful lot of the things I've done since then.
1: But anyway, we're on the story. Okay. I told you about the S, which is the main issue that we find. But of course, there are for other issues and the t will stand for target your audience yeah because we often forget that you have to adapt to the people you have in front of you and the way you will speak to a bunch of executives who are generally more trained to understand the financial statements than a staff meeting where you have entry-level people which will maybe require more explanations, in order to understand the conclusion. So you will have a completely different approach. And another point in targeting the audience is that what we often forget in finance is most of our findings will put someone under the fire. Because it's human, people will feel criticized if their department is not doing well, their product is not doing well. If there's a mistake that has been done first you have to target the presentations toward those people the step even before would be to pre-align with them because you don't want them to find out the main problem together with the other directors for example
0: yeah and that's something (laughs) i've discussed a lot with one of our mentors susanna sarana davy we talked a lot about how do you get proposals through board meetings, things Mm. like that. And the common theme is, well, you have a lot of pre-meetings. You've got all the people on site that you need to have on site before you even go into the room. Mm. And then it's just a tick box. It's the same here. There's another point that I'd make around knowing the audience, that you need to know their level. You need to spot who's being potentially criticized. But I recorded a podcast a while ago. And we were talking about disc profiling and different personality types, and we talked in the podcast there was a particular guest who turned the disc profiles into birds. So you had the eagles, the parrots, the doves, and the owls, and recognised that each of those had a completely different communication style. Mm. Now, the, the eagle was your potentially your CEO. Taking the the 10,000 feet view, wanted to know it very briefly. The parrots tend to be the marketing sales people like to talk about it, like to chat about it. The doves, well, according to the podcast we recorded, well, most of the doves are the HR type of people. They're inclusive, they're bringing people in, they're worried about feelings. The owls, mainly the sort of people you find in finance that go into loads and loads of detail. And your inclination as an owl will be to put a presentation together, assuming you're talking to other owls. Chances yeah. are the people around the table end owls, they're doves, parrots, and eagles. Adapt accordingly. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it's true. From our position of owl, we we will have to know the other birds and clearly adapt to how they see from the sky and how they see the details. So no, that I love the parallel with the birds. I should use it. <laughs> to come back on the, the story framework, we were at the STO. The O was for the organize your thoughts. I noticed that it was something that we were missing mostly and that we need to adapt according to a narrative. And this narrative will strongly depend On the previous step, on the audience targeted. Uh, I won't give all the details, but to summarize, the audience will strongly make your starting depend. That means that with executives, people needing less details, people in a hurry, you will start directly with a conclusion and then develop your supporting evidence. While when you are with experts who know their work better than you, Well, in that case, you will have to build the trust with evidence before bringing the conclusion. And so this approach will be what I call the inductive approach in which you communicate the conclusion before the evidence and the detective approach where you first detail every evidence before making people understand what the conclusion is. And I think that we can make a parallel with with the birds you talked about. The ego will be more inductive while when you are in front of doves and even the parrots, they will need the construction of the evidence before having the conclusion. That's a bit to summarize the structure of the story. And then you have to know how to start, how to end in order to keep the attention of the people to be engaging. And one of the ways to engage is also the visuals. And that's the next step, Are review your visuals. Because although the slides are often the main point of focus for finance people, it shouldn't be the focus first. The second thing is finance people are not really good at it. And I say that because I was like that too. I added as much information as possible. I added graphs, tables, and text, so that people could read it and find every information. Until the day I understood that this was actually a report I was building, not visuals that I should use as a support during my presentation. And I noticed that this disease is shared amongst all finance professionals.
0: Oh, it is. Very definitely. Go back to your original observations, the mm-hmm. PL account. Yeah. What goes on the first slide? Probably the PL account.
1: That's super important what you say, because people don't care about the PL generally when yeah. they are not in finance. They want to have the big figure. They want to have the final result or the result they do care about, hence the importance of targeting the audience. This focus on slides is so strong that when I share my knowledge and my expertise through trainings, through my methods, well, I only start talking and touching slides as from the two-thirds of the training. So the two first thirds are to determine what the message is, to assess what the audience, uh, who the audience is and to structure your story. And only when you've done that, you start opening PowerPoint and you start building your slides. But often, and I guess you will agree with me, people start with the slides. They have their slide deck, which is Generally, synchronized with Excel, and they just have to touch a button. It will update the tables, the graphs, and they will finally send it two or three days before the presentation. So basically, they are building a report, and then they think, okay, how will I communicate about this? While I propose the contrary, touch your slide only when you've done the work of what you will say.
0: Or, fine prepare those slides and standard tables and so on that you normally would. Send it out as the report three days before the meeting, but then do not present it in the meeting itself. The thing to bear in mind here is that you're there in front of your audience delivering a message. Soon as you put a slide up on the screen, people start reading the slide, not listening to what you're saying. Therefore, only put information on the slide that reinforces the verbal message that you're giving, not something for them to go away and read and look at 15 lines in the PL account and each person in the room is looking at a different line and looking at a different variance according to which part of the business they're in. And nobody's taking any notice that you're saying, well, look, the, uh, the gross margin's down by 20%.
1: What are we going to do about it? <laughs> What I usually say, your slides should help you, not steal your thunder. They should be a sort of support. And so the focus will be on what you will say. And if you have a graph that can help, great. If you have a headline that can help, great. But normally, they shouldn't be enough text so people could understand them on their own. And this is what I generally criticize on the pre-reads, is that we use slides. And we send them three days before. There's enough to read because, of course, people have to be able to understand them on their own. But then people use the same support for their presentation. And just like you said, Kevin, when they do, well, they just read it. And mm-hmm. even the presenter reads it because there's yeah. so much text on it that finally there's no other way than just respecting the same structure. and. People will also read it because it's natural when you have something written in front of you, you will start reading it to find information and you will not be focused anymore. So these slides are something that people in finance can improve. They definitely can improve it. And I would say that they can improve it by touching them much less. Less slides, less content, less graphs, less tables less of everything, just to make sure that the slide deck is only a support.
0: And rather than start by saying, here's my existing slide deck, how am I going to cut it down? Go to the other extreme and say, right, what happens if I walk into this meeting without a slide deck? Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Where might a slide help amplify this message? And actually, that helps you enormously in that, earlier conversation oh you had 30 minutes Mm -hmm. you've now got five because we overran on something else
1: i got a funny story uh, about this like two weeks ago i gave a training about storytelling to a team and i gave an assignment for each table they had to give a presentation they all had the same time it's just that most of the tables were so focused on preparing the slides that the team who presented the best results and who were able to give the message make sure that we listen to them use perfect body language and organize a discussion after the presentation were the ones who didn't have the time to prepare the slides after a certain time they were seeing that it took so much time i was keeping repeating to every table You can present without slides, but the slides won't be able to present themselves. The best speech and the best communication came from the team without slides. And that's self-speaking.
0: Yeah. And go back to something we talked about earlier. What do you want them to know? How do you want them to feel? Mm -hmm. The slides can help you confirm what do you want them to know? Because if you're putting graphs up there, you're putting facts. How do you want them to feel? Well, isn't that best conveyed through tone of voice, body language, and things that are coming directly from you? So if you've got something behind you that is detracting them from you, the individual presenting, well, you're going to lose all of that impact, are not you?
1: I do say that visuals also help touching the emotions of the people. When you use colors like red, green, it directly touches the emotions, and people understand it's good, bad. So they help, but it's true that it's the least effective weapon you have as a presenter. Yes.
0: So, hang on, going back to the story, where did we get to? We talked about the O.
1: The O, and we just talked about the R, review your visuals. So that leaves us with the Y. I didn't really find a great verb for that, but I wanted my framework to be called story. So I used yield to question because the main problem was the lack of preparation. And often the lack of preparation is represented by the questions you cannot answer during a presentation. In finance, we have tons of questions that come from our audience. Is that figure correct? Where do you find this back? What's the main reason behind that fact that you tell us? If you don't prepare it well, and this is why preparation is key, you will not have prepared the answers to that. And in a presentation, you can say, I don't know, I will come back to you, give me like one or two days and I will provide you a proper answer. But you can do it like once, twice, Big maximum. But if you do that for every question, you completely lose your credibility. And when you lose the credibility that you have as a presenter, well, you lose the trust. So you might as well go back to send a mail. And that's why it's important to prepare for questions, but also to prepare the delivery because the way to convince people in the audience is also Learn how to speak, learn how to master the voice tone, the pace, the pauses, how to look at the audience, how to use your body, your hands to explain one thing, the other pros and cons. It's definitely something that will help you convey a message. It will not help if your content sucks, but it will boost your content, if it's good. And that's why you have this unique opportunity as a presenter to deliver a stronger message than by just sending an email. People need the contact with human people. They will be convinced by someone who presents well, who is at ease with public speaking. I don't want finance professionals to Focus more on being a, a toastmaster speaker or a, a TED talker. No, the goal is to have enough confidence to deliver your message confidently and convince the people who are in front of you. But be focused on the content first, and then deliver your presentation by practicing it a lot. And this is something I haven't seen a lot. People rehearsing a presentation. and. This should happen much more often.
0: Rehearsing is something that I hate. And I can think of times we've done it. It's been in a consulting setting. We've been presenting a proposal to a client to do some work with a team going in there to present. And we've run through the presentation two or three times in the office. I absolutely hate doing that because I never react in the same way rehearsing it as I do when there's actually some real people in front of me that are listening and are taking it in mm-hmm. but flip side of that that I've found in a situation where you're going in to talk to the business team you tend to know the individuals in the room so one of the techniques that I use is how's fred going to react to this what am i going to expect from each of the people around the table think it through what are their questions? What's high on their particular individual agenda? Am I saying something here that I can either say this in a way that I can bring that person in at this point because they're probably going to give me some support because I'm in one of their pet subjects mm-hmm. or ooh, that's going to be a bit painful. Do I need to steer away from that one or, or somehow reframe it? Again, it's coming back to an earlier point, know your audience. Mm-hmm. But rehearsing, knowing your audience is, is actually quite
1: powerful. And when you have colleagues who know your audience as well, you can use your colleagues to help you while gathering the potential reactions, trying to brainstorm on the potential questions, objections. So the best setup to rehearse would be with colleagues. Yes, with your colleagues. And if you have non-finance colleagues who can help you, that's even better. Uh, But it's true that today, especially with the work from home trends that we see, it's not always easy to find colleagues who will attend your presentation and your rehearsal. So in that case, what I would suggest is that there are tools in PowerPoint, but also on the web. There's a tool called Udly They help you rehearse and they will detect if you repeat a word often, if you use filler words, if you hesitate too much, they will calculate the pace of your speech. They will assess the tone of your voice. In such case, it's not perfect, but it's at least something. And for people who do not feel at ease to rehearse, in front of other people, that's already a good step they can use.
0: There's something that I actually find quite horrible. You and I are sitting here now, we're we're using Zoom to record a podcast. We're having a great flowing conversation. But if I sit down to record a video that's going to go into an online course, and all I'm doing is staring at the screen, I will make mistake after mistake after mistake. And it's absolutely horrible. And so that element of rehearsing I find really difficult personally.
1: It is. And this is why most people don't do it. And I force myself to do it at least once because although I don't really behave like an actor who rehearses before a play, it allows me to go through all the structure and correct elements that I don't find that would fit in the structure. For example, slides that I don't feel comfortable sharing because they take too much time or because they deviate us from the main message. And this is the most important thing I would say in the rehearsal is to be confident about what you will say and how you will say it. Not really to deliver a stellar presentation. I mean, there are some elements of focus and. On our sides, I don't want people to think that they have to be able to speak in front of thousands of people. That's not the goal. The most important issues that were detected by my conversations with CFOs, finance directors, SPN managers, is not how people talk or use their body language. It's mostly about the preparation. And so this preparation through one rehearsal on your own, on your side, allows you to just bring the last corrections before jumping to the, the wide world.
0: You came up with just one little interesting thing there. I want to explore a bit further. No? The modern tend tendency for remote working. No? Spoke on the podcast a couple of weeks ago with uh, two CFOs, separate podcasts that are both working with remote finance teams. They're spending very little time in contact with each other and in direct contact with the rest of the business. Now, if you're in that remote position and you're using Zoom or Teams or whatever your company's favorite flavor of communicating is, how do we adapt to that, Sufian? Because the tendency will be, oh, I've got some slides. I'm going to screen share. We've been talking tone of voice. We'll find that'll still be coming across, but we've been talking body language. Suddenly, as you put those slides up, your picture either disappears completely or goes into a tiny little box at the corner of the screen. Mm -hmm. Everybody's focusing on the slide and not you. So how do you deal with that situation?
1: That's a tough one. And it's true that we have to adapt. We lose a lot of our body language. When it comes to to remote presentations, what I suggest to people is the following. First, you have to exaggerate the only things that's left for you. And the only thing is your smile, your moves, and your hands. Yes, You have access to your hands. So use them. Even if your picture becomes super small on the right side of the screen of the people, they will see you move your hands and so they will often have a glance at you. The other suggestion is to stop using the slides once in a while. For example, if you have an explanation to give, or if you want to have an interaction with people, if there are any questions, you are not supposed to share the slides if they are not with the flow of what you're saying. So, Many times we just leave the slides because we are sharing our screen and this is how we do. But you do not have to be afraid to just click on this little button, stop sharing, and then reshare when you need to. Because at that time, people will see you directly in front of them and will wake up in case they started to sleep. And so it will change a bit the tempo of your presentation that will keep them entertained and engaged. That's using the visual behind you in a
0: different way as well to the way you'd use it in in a physical meeting room. You've turned the projector on at the beginning of the meeting, there are slides there. Yeah. And you flick through them, but there's always a slide there. That way, if you're actually switching the screen share on and off, then you're very much bringing people back to
1: focusing on you. Exactly. That's powerful. There's a feature in PowerPoint, and people don't know that that much. When you share your screen, even when you are in a physical location, when you share your screen, you have the presenter view. And in this presenter view, you have a little button where you can just stop sharing your slides. So you can put a black screen instead of your slide. And I found it to be very effective when you want people to refocus on you. When the explanation is not technical and that you want people to think, to focus, not to read, not to observe the visual, just click on that little button and then your screen becomes black and you're back with them and they can take like five minutes to come back to what you say. And that's super important. And this button is not known. And I will make a post about it tomorrow because it's super powerful.
0: That is super powerful. I didn't know anything about that button at all. And I've given many, many PowerPoint presentations. I just carry on talking against whatever the last important slide was that that we discussed. Mm -hmm. Or occasionally managed to flick forward a slide too many in the presentation because I'd finished talking about that one. That is tremendously powerful. Yeah. So, no, we've covered things that we've got in Grow CFO, We've got the the and bootcamp. We've got the business partnering bootcamp. We cover storytelling and presenting in both of those. But you've got a course that goes into just presenting in a lot more detail.
1: It's about presenting and storytelling, indeed. And for the moment, I only give it to corporate. People, uh, corporate companies, because I prefer to give it in person. Something that I want to train in person, I want to have groups that are big enough in order to play the roles, to have enough feedback, because it's super important for me to be able to give feedback to the participant, but also that they get feedback from their peers. Because the, the more feedback they get, the better they can become. I also give this training in live courses online. Obviously we cannot do the same, but it's already a good starting point for people to start practicing storytelling and presentations.
0: Yeah, so we'll put links to all of those courses in the show notes for the podcast. Thank you. Sifian, that has been fantastic, really eye-opening. Just going through that S T O R Y story acronym has been Really, really interesting. I know that I've seen that in a great visual on LinkedIn. I wonder if we can share that visual as well in the show notes.
1: Yes, you can help yourself. You can uh, copy it without any problem. Sufian, thank you for being this week's guest
0: on the Grow CFO Show.
1: Thank you, Kevin, for inviting me.